Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark, and coming up on today's episode we're going to be talking music. So following on from the last episode when I sat down and talked to Will from the band Black Peaks, I thought to myself, let's not change it, let's get some more bands on, because I really enjoy talking to these musicians. So on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by Laura May Carter from the absolute awesome band Blood Red Shoes. Now, I just want to go and talk a little bit more about the last episode, and then we'll get into today's. So I was joined by Will, and I think Black Peaks, as I said on the episode, are probably the best band in Britain right now. An absolute awesome band. This interview did take a while to make happen, I think it was about six months, but all the good things are worth waiting for, and the response has been phenomenal. It got into the top ten, which I didn't expect, because Black Peaks aren't that big yet, they should be, they should be bloody selling out stadiums, but you know, it's a long process, but I was thrilled by the amount of people that jumped on board, I was loving reading people that had listened and never heard of Black Peaks and have now gone and got the album and absolutely love it. And if you haven't and you're still listening to this now, you need to go out there and get everything that Black Peaks have released because it's absolutely awesome. And again, I've seen people that have bought tickets and have tweeted out and it's great to see the band interacting with these people as well that listen. So a really, really good episode. But as ever, we have to move on. And today's focus is Blood Red Shoes. Now this band, I haven't... I'm not going to claim that I've been a massive fan all my life because I haven't. They've been going a decade now, they've had a number of albums out and it's only recently that I got into them. I went to a gig and it was Addison Chains in Leeds last year and this support band came on and I just instantly was blown away. You know when you're kind of mesmerised by something and you just, what's that sound? You looked and you just couldn't look away. It was just, it just captured me and from that moment I just thought I really want to speak to this band and get them on Mark and Me. And as always, things take a while, but here it is, and I'm absolutely thrilled with it. I've only just got the album because it only came out last week, Get Tragic, and I recommend it to everyone. It's a phenomenal album, the production is superb, and it's a huge jump in the band in the way of dynamics and loads more layers, and it's it's a really, really solid album, and it's definitely going to be a contender for my album of the year, and we're only in January, so... Go out and check that out. It's on Spotify or go and buy it. You know, go on the band's website because these bands work hard and it's about buying the albums that mean they can then tour and then they can do more albums. And they're not on these huge, huge labels where they get loads of money. They are literally working very hard to make more music like I do with this podcast. So go out and support them. But what I want to do now is get straight to the interview. So I was lucky enough to sit down with Laura May Carter, and I'm absolutely blown away by this interview. So here it is. Here's me and Laura from Blood Red Shoes. Okay, so thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. No problem. Nice to be here. So my first question is growing up. So obviously when you were a kid, was it a band you wanted to be in, or was it later on in life that you kind of got into the music? Um, It was really early on, I think, I wanted to be in a band. Um from when I was about 12 I think and I ended up starting my first band at 14 cool so yeah it's been yeah it's been <laughs> I don't remember what else I had in mind I don't think I ever had anything else in mind for a career I think when I was eight I saw Elastica on a video and I saw Lestine Frischman with a Telecaster guitar and I was like that's what I want to do that was it you just yeah. knew yeah I didn't learn guitar for way later but I was singing in a band from 14 yeah, and I just taught myself guitar later on. But I can't remember anything else that I wanted to be. 
So <laughs> that was it. So you said you saw Elastica and stuff. What was the sort of bands that were in your record collection? Were you a fan of stuff like Nirvana and stuff like that, or heavier? Or yeah, I mean, I was like, I don't know how old I was when Nirvana was around. I was really young, so it wasn't like I was new about them. But I had, a, I have a sister that was like a teenager in that in the nineties. So all her music, I just took on because I thought it was, she was really cool, and I just started listening to Nirvana and stuff, and then. I think through Nirvana I found Hole, and then once I found Hole, then it was like a whole other world of like Riot Girl bands that I just ended up just gravitating towards and being like, I want to do that. Um, so it was a lot of grunge, yeah, in my record collection, and then, um, I don't know, like, what else? I love Michael Jackson growing up, and Madonna, and stuff like that too, so I liked pop music as well, but I just thought it was really cool, like my sister liking uh grunge music so when you're um 14 and you're sitting there forming a band was it stuff like hole you said but was it stuff like the breeders or stuff like ruka salt where it gave you the kind of hope that you could be successful as a, a front girl of a band instead of the typical rock band with a guy fronting no i don't even know what i thought i don't think i thought even like ahead of that i just wanted to make music i didn't really think about a future in it i just wanted to do it and i remember my friend hannah and i were in a class and we heard that there was going to be Battle of the Bands and we were just like, we had a week to do it, to to enter into this Battle of the Bands and we were like, right, we have a week, we're going to do this and she had just got a guitar for Christmas so she was learning some chords and I was like, I'll sing, you play guitar, we'll find someone to play bass and a drummer and we did it and we played, <laughs> we don't know what it was like but we did Battle of the Bands and then we carried on from there and members changed and we did all sorts of stuff, but that was like the first show that I ever did was at our school. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think that I really thought so much. I just thought I want to play guitar music. I didn't think about a future. I just wanted to play. I just wanted to make music. I was looking today, and you you didn't actually own a guitar for quite a while. You just kept borrowing loads of friends. Is that right? Yeah. In that instance, I borrowed. I I didn't play guitar, then, but when I got we got further down the line with the band, I ended up borrowing the bass player had a guitar, so I borrowed her guitar, and then. If I was in a different line out, like someone else would have one, I borrowed that. And then, so when I started the band with Steve, he used to play the guitar in his old band. So I just, he went on drums and I was like, okay. So I borrowed his guitar and I just learned, I just taught myself as I went off, just chords and stuff, playing along to things. And then, yeah, and then when we were signed in 2007 is when I brought my first guitar which is, yeah, way late in the game. <laughs> so. so what's it like now, sort of 10, 12 years later, where people like Fender are giving you these really nice, sexy new guitars? Yeah, that's a new thing. I've never been given, been given a guitar until now. Um, and, yeah, it was crazy, actually. It's like, really? Are you going to give it to me? I don't know. Like, I know it's probably normal for a lot of fans, but, um, yeah, that was a pretty cool moment to get given one. I've always used Fender, I've always been a big fan of Fender stuff, probably because I taught myself to play guitar on a telly, but um, but yeah, I have other stuff that I just got on eBay, none of my stuff's particularly expensive, I just, I'm more about the feel of something, and if something sounds good, you know, it doesn't matter what it, what it is, or how old it is, or where it came from, I like kind of one-off stuff, so like I've got this really cool guitar that I found on eBay that I had no idea what it'd be like. But when I plugged it in, I wrote An Animal, which is one of our popular songs um, from our last album. Just like instantly just wrote the guitar line. And it was like, okay, this has a good feel to it. It 
stuff like that. I think it's like I'm really affected by the sounds and environment and sounds and different things and new things. And I think it's the excitement of getting this guitar. I didn't know what it was going to sound like. And then playing it and just, yeah, I can just write something. That seems to happen to me. I'm very affected by stuff like that and the environment, like where I am, like what the room's like. It's weird. <laughs> kind of annoying because I tend to not be able to write everywhere but if I'm in the right environment I can be quite productive. And you've never had a guitar lesson have you? You you just picked it up and taught yourself? never had one. I had piano lessons when I was younger and my piano teacher was like saying to me you know you've got to learn to read music because I never read the music I always wanted to I just learn it off by ear and then I, I wasn't interested in being very technical. No. I wanted to play songs that I've made up so I, I stopped doing piano. And then, yeah, later on, I, I started playing guitar, and yeah, I've never had a lesson. I think I'm scared because I don't play conventionally, and I, I'm probably doing it all wrong in a kind of technical sense, and I don't want to then start thinking about what I should be doing. So I think it might change how I play. I don't know. I just... I don't really feel the need for one, I guess. Well, the thing is, it's worked for a decade, and you don't want to worry about someone in the crowd going, oh, that power chord isn't quite accurate, you're using the wrong thing. They're like, (laughs) fuck it, if it sounds good, and it's wrote you songs for ten years, just carry on. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I probably, there's things that maybe would have been helpful to know, but, (laughs) you know, it's all good. I think it's, I've got my kind of sound and my way of playing, and yeah, no point now. I'd like to have some singing lessons, because I'd like to learn how to breathe properly. But apart from that, I don't feel the need to have any lessons. So you just mentioned then that you got the guitar from Stephen when you formed Blood Red Shoes, yeah. and he was then on drums. So how was it that you two actually came into each other's lives? Um, we came into each other's lives, like, I think I was really young. Stephen's a bit older than me. Um, we, I was trying to remember this because I was writing about it in an in a interview the other day, and I think this is the moment I met him, and it was actually in a squat in Brixton, and um, it was my friend's squat, and they were putting on shows, and his band played. So I was already there, and I remember meeting him, and I liked his band. I thought they were cool, and they were playing with a band that I knew. And, um, and yeah, I remember, like, they, it was kind of one of those nights where a lot of people there were straight edge, and, I, and his band seemed to be straight edge. And I remember he came up to me, and he was like, uh, what are you drinking? And I thought he was judging me for drinking alcohol so I remember putting it behind my back being like nothing <laughs> and then it was turned out he just wanted some because he had about my straight edge but he definitely wasn't so that's like how we met and then I think my band played in Brighton and he was worked at the venue that I was playing I was like 16 or something and um and yeah we just kind of kept bumping into to each other like in that sense and then eventually we played um, some shows together in London because he was from he lived in Brighton I lived in London and um, we just started talking on email I remember not being that keen on him at all I just thought he was a bit annoying <laughs> and, um, but I remember thinking he likes all the same sort of music that I like and I think I could make music with him I just have a strong sense that we could probably do something quite good together and he seemed quite driven and I was getting progressively frustrated with my band because I was the only one that was really pushing it and wanting to rehearse and like wanting to take it a bit more seriously and they weren't really so I knew that he had that same thing in him that I had it's like I could just sense it and um when I found out that his band broke up I insensitively just 
emailed him that day. <laughs> it was like, do you want to have a jam? And so we did. And so it took a long time for us to actually be friends, but we started making music before we were like proper friends or knew each other. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how we met. Just in that scene, I think it was like the underground punk scene. You tend to sort of cross paths with people, and he was just one of the people I did. It's pretty cool as well that he's from Brighton. I mean, it's a great area. It's a good scene. Recently, we've had bands like Black Peaks. We've had Royal Blood. You know, there's some really good bands coming from that area now, and it must be nice to be associated and part of that kind of music scene and culture right now. Yeah, it's funny because I never think about it now. Like, I remember when I, I, I mean, I didn't grow up there, but I did move there for a while to do the band because Steve's a Brightoner and he loves Brighton and he's always going to be there. So we base, we rehearse there and all like areas there. So I used to travel up all the time and then I was like, no, I'll just move here for a while. So I did. And I remember back then, it was a great music scene then. It was like, Back for Lashes, we used to play shows with Natasha, and it was like, it's really different styles of music, and so to me it's always been quite a great music place. But yeah, but now like, even bands like Slaves are moved there, and it's become, yeah, it's quite a hub. I think it's really good if you're a band, because it helped us a great deal, because you end up obviously knowing everyone, and you can kind of help each other, but also in terms of rehearsing and stuff because it's a town that you can walk everywhere it just saves you money it saves you time it's just like quite convenient and not far from london it's just yeah it's a pretty good place if you want want to like you know if you're starting out with your band and you need to like be doing a lot of stuff but don't have a lot of money i feel like it's a lot of money to live there but in terms of rehearsing and all these things it was pretty handy Plus the seaside's there, so if you want to just go and sit by the sea with a notebook and write, that's probably the most peaceful place to go. Yeah, that's true. Not in the winter, it's freaking free. Forget that. But, <laughs> but yeah, in the summer, it's great. Yeah. So your debut, Box of Secrets. Now, obviously you two have been jamming together, writing together. Did you feel quite a lot of pressure to try and make a statement on your debut? Because it is that thing that people will listen to and then judge you for the rest of your career. It's that hi we're here we're blood red shoes so was it did you feel pressure or was it just a we'll see how it goes and hopefully it'll turn out all right oh i remember feeling a lot of pressure i felt a lot of pressure with every album to be honest but yeah. i think the first one we had it had never really occurred to me that at some point we we're gonna have to make an album because we just made singles all the time we were putting out seven inches all the time and just kind of doing that we were playing all the time putting out singles and I'd never put an album out before like Steve had put an album out with his old bands but I just always done an EP or singles as well and I just kind of freaked out by the idea of it and I remember being in the studio being like I don't even want to make an album can't we just put out singles forever <laughs> and it's funny that I think that because I actually am, I do really love albums now but at the time I don't know I must have had I must have freaked out some way for me to be saying that but um yeah I think it all came around quite fast and then it was like right now you've got to go in and make the album we'd just been touring and we just we were young and like we were put in this really cool studio this producer that Mike Crossy who ended up making like three of our albums but he's like a big time producer and um yeah it was just yeah quite daunting and like I didn't think about it too far ahead because now I realize that you know everyone knows us for like it's getting boring by the sea and like that was written when I was 19 that my idea of life is <laughs> very different now and 
but it's still what people know us a lot for. So you don't think about how actually this is this could be something that lasts a long time or this is what you're going to be known for. You just those things don't really didn't come to my mind. But I just but I was I feeling pressure about just actually making an album in general. Just I've never done it. It's just like oh this is a bit stressful. I think bands always find making albums stressful. The usual one that when I've interviewed bands before and when I talk to musicians is the follow-up. That's where everyone's kind of worries because they put their heart and soul and everything into that debut to kind of, you know, this is us. And then you need to try and top it or try and come back stronger. So when you released Fire Like This, was that more pressure for you because you'd been in the studio then, you'd had a good um, turnout with the debut, you'd had a good uh, engineer and producer on board. Was it a kind of, shit, how are we going to do this all again and kind of take it up one? Um, I think we kind of, we, we were like, right, okay, now let's actually make a record that sounds like us more live because we were always more ferocious live than our first record. Yeah. Um, and when we come to play, like in these indie nights, people were like, what? This is like a really heavy band and <laughs> it's not what we thought. They're not the enemy band we, we thought they were. And so we were like, okay, well, maybe we should just make this more animal, like do it a bit more raw and stuff. And I can't remember the writing of the record. I don't know if it was that hard. I think we didn't have it completely finished when we went in. But the biggest problem about that album was when we went in to make this album, we were dropped by a label during the session. So we went in and they just wanted us to make, they said we wouldn't get, that we hadn't written radio hits or whatever. And we were quite stubborn. We still are stubborn people. So we were just like, so, like, we don't care about the radios. <laughs> um, and I think we ended up sending the label, like, seven minutes of noise or something and be like, yeah, this is our news. Pissed off, like, it, we're just like, hey, what do you think you are? And um, they told us to go in with Mike and then Mike Crossley made our record and then they were saying, well, you've just gone in with the same producer, like, it's the same thing. And it's like, well, you told us to do it. So we're like halfway in there making a record and then they're like saying, no, we're not going to pay for this anymore. I'm not going to do it. So we were stuck with the bill. But it was shitty at the time because it was like, okay, how the hell are we going to do this? But it did mean that then we owned that record and then from then on, everything was on our terms. We made we put the records out on our like license them to whoever we wanted and we made the records ourselves and paid for them ourselves which is money that we made live we put back into our record and it's um there's there's good things and bad things about that there's good things having control but also bad because we're struggling for money but yeah i think that was quite a mental moment in the second album um recording but we were really stubborn you were like we're going to make this really good and all the songs that that label said wouldn't get on the radio ended up being playlisted on like Radio One, um, high up on the playlist, and so we were like, "Haha!" <laughs> like I don't know, we always want to win. So. Feels good, especially doesn't against, it? Like ah, especially against the record industry. Yeah, sticking your industry. visa pattern, like look at us, we did what we wanted and we did well. Yeah, so I think it must have been stressful at the time, but it's, when I think back, I feel like that album went pretty well considering everything that happened and I think I think I do remember the first one getting quite depressed about making them because I I was so swung in it swung in it and didn't know what was going on whereas I think the second one I'd then we toured the world and I kind of understood a bit more how things work so that was a bit better but then obviously we were dropped during it but we survived um 
and our manager at the time was really good he kind of yeah he kind of helped us in that situation so yeah i don't know i think there's always some big drama during our album <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't be fun if there wasn't would it it would be just boring you need some you need some sort of event or something to be excited i guess so I feel like <laughs> it keeps you going it must be <laughs> i don't know what happens with other people's albums i'm sure that they have similar things i think i don't know maybe we're just cursed when i've been talking to people this week and talking about your new album and yourself that you're coming on the podcast a lot of people say ah oh, scott pilgrim yeah that must have been a pretty surreal moment to be involved in kind of Edgar Wright's world and, you know, it's a huge film with so much respect and it's now like a cult-following film. It's it's huge, you know, and it's it's such a cool yeah. film. So is that quite surreal to still know that you're in that film with the soundtrack and it must it must be a pretty good moment in your career? Oh, yeah, it totally was. And funny, I was literally, just before you rang, I was just texting with Edgar Wright. He's become a quite good friend of mine and and it was amazing he actually came to one of our shows to kind of research that film and everybody was telling me about the film and I was like, well, wow, that's really cool. And, and I remember when we got told we were going to be in it and it, it didn't quite click until it actually came out and we were at the premiere and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I realise now how, what a cult film it is because everywhere we go, especially in the States, you know, people are coming to our shows purely on the fact they saw that film, saw we were in that soundtrack. And then even, like, recently, I told some one of my friends that our song was in that, and they, like, didn't believe me. They were like, no, can't be. I was like, it is. <laughs> and then it kind of occurred to me, like, wow, that is actually really amazing. Um, it's done us... I mean, it, it's Roaring by the Sea, which, again, is uh, an old song, but it's a, uh, and I can't really listen to it because it's like, oh, it's like listening to my teenage self. But I am appreciate that people like it and yeah it's amazing to be in that film it's such a cool film it i is. love his films anyway it's, so. it's amazing and uh spaced is my favorite tv show of all time yeah so. it's so great yeah <laughs> that's cool that you're <laughs> sitting there texting edgar right like hi mate how you doing yeah not bad cool that's pretty yeah, cool yeah i was thinking if he wanted to come to the show or i was gonna send him uh, send him one of our records because i wanted to have one but yeah. So you just but, mentioned then you want to send in one of your new albums. Now, Get Tragic is out, and when people are listening to this, it'll be out already, but it's out right now on Friday for us. Um, so it must be quite a nervous time for you because it must be exciting, but it's also, again, you're probably thinking, I hope it does well, and it's getting quite good reviews that I've seen so far. I think a lot of places yeah. are giving it sort of five and four stars, which is great, but you've worked with Adam Greenspan, and obviously he's worked with... Arcade Fire, Nick Cave, the Yeah Yeah Yeah. So you must be pretty chuffed to get that kind of production on this album. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, I think it's funny with our band, like we've been around a long time and we have like our hardcore fans and people, you know, I think do respect that we've been working hard for this time. But we always have this like, I don't know if we're like the underdog band or what. I mean, I'm sure people disagree and have their own opinion on it, but... I think we always get told that we can't do things. Like, people are always like, no, you're not big enough for that, or no, you can't do that. And when we made this album, we were like, right. I was kind of more even, more than Steve, which is interesting because he's much louder than me, but I was like, no, we're not going to settle for just this or that. Like, if we want to have a producer that's going to make this, we want someone brilliant, and we're going to just try, and there's no harm in just asking. And, you know, we sent the record, uh, demos to a lot of people and Adam and Nick Lorne who made the record were the first people that like really got it and like really loved it and wanted to do it and it was like 
we can do it. And I think it's just surprised a lot of people around us because I just think sometimes you get put in a kind of box and people just think, I don't know, it's an interesting thing, music, because some bands seem to just be on a pedestal and others, you know, you have to work for every little bit and prove yourself for every little bit. And um, that's what I feel like we are. But it was really cool. And I was like, great, you know, we've got someone that, you know, I trust has made many records that I really love. And that was, yeah, it was really good. I was really happy that we could do it and, and also do it in LA, which is where we wrote most of the record. So it kind of followed that story. Does it feel to you like it's a bit different in the way of... Because it sounds different to me. Like, I've only heard at the moment, because it's only the one out, is eye to eye. But the production, the 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 kind of... It sounds so good. Like, it's quite polished, but it sounds... It just sounds incredible. Do you know what I mean? You can tell he's worked with the likes of Arcade Fire, because it's, it's just... Sounds flawless. You must be so chuffed listening back. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's funny, because, like, it was a real collaboration, because... Um, we are quite hands-on with everything, but we a lot of the stuff that we made in a garage has been kept on this record, you know? Yeah. And the thing that was really cool was Nick and, and Adam, when they listened to the demos, were like, you don't actually need to redo this. If you redo this, it's losing the vibe. And I think they really understand, like, not to kind of overkill something, which I think is in the case of a lot of producers. They want to obviously make their mark, but they could, they were like, we can't get this any better, so let's like keep that, and then we'll just do this better. And it was, and it was things like that that I think they really understand how to keep the vibe, which is so important to me, which I feel like can be lost in some of the things that we've done before. Um, and then obviously, in terms of the synths and all the extra stuff, like Adam was really good at understanding that more so than we do because it's like a new world for us. Yeah, and Adam mixed it as well, and he's, he's brilliant at that. Everything I've heard in mix has been awesome. So, yeah, it just sounds, doesn't sound, if you actually listen to our albums back-to-back, it is quite a big change. <laughs> but I think that's a mixture of, obviously, them, they did an amazing job, and we also were like, okay, we've got to change our sound, and let's try and do something completely different. And we, there was a lot of trial and error involved in that, but what we have achieved, I think, I'm pretty happy with. So now that you're going out on tour, how do, you, how do you find the kind of life on tour? Is it as good as it would come across for the public who follow you on Instagram or follow you on social media? Is it as cool or the more bands I speak to, it's it's just a struggle, you know? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, we haven't done it properly for a while. We've been touring the States quite a bit, um, supporting some other bands, which is great. And it's good because it's much more lo-fi and we've been doing it, like, just me and Steve and one guy and just traveling through the state entire back and forth of the country and that's really good for grounding you and kind of getting back and that was really good to get back on the road but in terms of our own shows we haven't actually done our own shows so long I'm so excited and I think I just want it to go well and I'm not worried about all the other stuff I just want to do it I think once you've not done it for a while you you start to appreciate it I really love traveling now. I'm like such a, I can't sit still anymore. I used to find it harder, but now I'm just like, yeah. And touring to me is like the fun part. That's like the bit where I actually get to play and not all the other stuff. So that for me is easy. Everything else is sometimes annoying, all the like admin stuff that we end up doing. or But actually playing is the best part. So yeah, I'm excited about that. 
And your relationship with Stephen is so good. I mean, the, the chemistry you've got between yourselves and to be working together for a decade in this industry is never easy. You know, the record sales are harder. The touring life yeah. is harder. Everything's streaming. No one wants to pay money now to come out of their house and go to gigs. It's a challenge. Yeah, but yeah it is. How do you two find it? Is it just the fact you've spent that long together, you know when to kind of back away or when you need your space you just appreciate and respect each other um i don't know i don't know if we sometimes are really horrid to each other but (laughs) (laughs) um i think i think we're just used to each other and i think the biggest the reason why we're still here for all our ups and downs with everything that's gone on um, with the band in, in our personal lives is because we are so um honest we literally just say whatever i mean we can have a huge mental fight and be okay at the end. And I think because we express it and we get it out is why we're still here. I think if you bottle it up and you're seething and you're like not telling each other how you feel, then that is why bands implode impersonally in, in you know, into band relationships. So I think to me, that's the biggest reason. Also, we're extremely stubborn and we just want to win. So <laughs> we're still here. Some people are like, what? They're still around. It's like, yep. <laughs> I so said I said wanna... um I said before we did the interview today that I saw you supporting Alice in Chains and that's a that's a huge gig, do you know what I mean? Alice in Chains are one of the biggest bands around and yeah. you didn't seem and I mean this with full respect, you didn't seem like you were the support band. You didn't play like you were trying to win this crowd over. You went on and did your thing and owned the stage for you being you and that must be quite challenging when you would, I, I myself wouldn't put you with Addison Chains. I think you're quite different, yeah. but it worked. You got a good reaction. You must have been buzzing with those support slots. Yeah, I was actually because I didn't know what to expect, and um, you know, there's such a legendary band. <laughs> I was like, wow, well that's awesome, and um, and it really helped that actually the band themselves were so nice. Yeah, they were one of the and the crew were so they were like one of the nicest band and crew that I've come across in that kind of. Uh, realm of legendary band and um yeah so that really helped made us feel at ease and i think they were just like yeah just do your thing and it was like yeah that's that's a good point you know just what we're going to do we don't sound anything like them so we either come on and try and cater somehow to these people which we have no idea how to or just do what we do and and then yeah it was really fun i really enjoyed it actually that we played at shepherd's bush the next night from where did where was it? You I think it, it was Leeds, Leeds yeah. And we did Shepherd's Bush, and I love that venue because that was the closest venue to where I grew up. And that one was really good as well. They were both really fun. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think I wasn't really daunted by it. It was just like, let's just do it and see what happens. <laughs> What's the worst thing that can happen? And they just don't clap. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And you've got a big busy summer you're now touring obviously your headline you've got the album coming out i'm sure you're going to be doing festivals is that the best thing is that like you know playing with all these amazing bands on these stages and getting to spend weekends within music is that kind of the dream for you is that when it feels like this is why it's all worth it yeah definitely i think that's really fun i think it's you know what it's like actually the last few shows we've done we did a we did two small shows about a month or so ago um before our tour now just to like kind of give fans something like a really intimate show and um it, it's really 
emotional for me. It's really mental. Like every time I go on now and the crowd are buzzing in the first song, I get like super emotional. I never got like that before because it's just so like amazing to feel like people still care and appreciate appreciate it. So I think having that feeling going forward and thinking about all the places we can play and people and stuff and yeah, I think that is the best thing. Yeah, to be honest, I just, we've got so much music, I just want to put out, I just want to keep being productive and put good things into the world and, yeah, just be creative. I think sometimes that's lost in music and everything's quite methodical and you have to, like, schedule everything and we've been away for so long now, I just want to keep putting stuff out and doing my own music aside from the band and just want to be creative as possible because now you can, it's not the same, it's not, you can just put stuff out and... I think I just want to have a big output of creative stuff. It's the best so way to be. It's the best way. I'm, yeah. I do it with the podcast. I'm literally at the moment recording an ep- probably an episode every two days. And it's it's ridiculous, but I don't need to sleep because I'd rather just put some stuff out there for the world to listen to. And I can do it tonight. If I wanted, I could release this tomorrow. It's like that easy now. Yeah, I know. That's it. I, mean, I love podcasts. I'm such a crime, um, true crime podcast obsessive. Yeah. I literally listen to i have so many on the go <laughs> and it's amazing now for touring i didn't have that before now i can be like listen to podcasts you're gonna listen to this one you're gonna listen to all my last 50 episodes i hope yeah i'll listen to the last ones i don't think i'll listen to my own voice because no probably cringe <laughs> <laughs> and one thing i was listening to today I, I've, I've been obsessed with eye to eye i keep going on about it, but i just love the harmonies i love the production i love the electric bits i just love it all when I was listening to it, I was thinking, how are these two going to put this on stage and make it work, you know, because yeah. it's one of those things where it sounds absolutely phenomenal in your earphones and you think, God, it sounds great, but do you struggle with kind of making that work for just the drums and you on guitar with a synth or some keyboards? How how would you make that kind of transition to stage? Is there stuff that needs to be minimalised or stripped down? Well, we discussed this and we were like, you know, we've always been pushing it. Every album is like, how many pedals can I possibly do? Yeah. <laughs> like, how many can I have? Uh, and that's why we have two more members now. Yeah. And so for the new album, we've got two extra people coming on and playing with us. So we have um, Hannah on bass and guitar, extra guitar sometimes. Um, and we have various different people but right now we have um james the drummer from tiger carpet band he is playing um samples and extra percussion and all the little bits that are on the record that we want to have play live as opposed to us putting on a backing track because that would be what it would come down to if yeah it was just us two we, there's no way we could do it justice that's cool though, I like that. I love the fact that when I come to your gig now, instead of it just being the two of you, there'll be four of you and that gives it so many more yeah. dynamics and you don't lose that stuff that you're so you know, you're so um used to with the record. Exactly. So yeah, so it's really exciting. We've got them coming on and we've been rehearsing this week and it's yeah, I'm really happy with how it sounds and it's like it's almost weird for me because I'm so used to playing like Steve and I realise that every single song I have to continue playing. There's not a moment where I stop playing guitar. There's moments where drums stop, but there's not moments where I stop. So I've never had a moment to not be playing. And the, these songs, there are moments where I'm just singing, and it's almost like, so it must be like a drummer all of a sudden standing up. In a, a yeah. Show. It's really bizarre. I think I'm going to get used to it and love it, but right now I'm like, wow, there's all this space. I didn't know what I'm doing. Um, 
but yeah, it's going to be good. And I think we're going to re we've reinvented a few old songs with with the extra two people as well, just to kind of have them do a bit more. And it and we'll be two on a couple of, like old songs, but also yeah, reinvent a few old songs with them just to kind of tie it all together with the new record one question i ask every guest that comes on it doesn't matter if you're an actor a film director a band but what advice do you give for people that are trying to make it now because i've been in a band and yeah i did some good stuff i got to support ruben and stuff so for me i was like wow this is great but it's tough isn't it it's a tough industry and there isn't there isn't overnight millionaires anymore there aren't the record sales that there were in the 80s do you give advice to people that want to kind of be the next Blood Red Shoes or try and be the next Pearl Jam or Nirvana, you know? Yeah, I think I've thought about this a lot because it's a hard one because we're still not a Pearl Jam or anything, so <laughs> I have no idea how to get there. But um, but I do think that obviously it's harder now and if you're wanting to make lots of money fast, music is not the way. Um, you have to be doing it because you truly love what you do. And you have to be to last and to keep wanting to do it and not be soul destroyed. You have to just love music. But one bit of advice I would give, and that is to create your own world. And I think nowadays everyone is very kind of, not everyone, but you see a lot of sheep mentality and people jumping on things because someone else thinks it's good. And I think now you really can create your own world and just keep going and doing your own thing and others will follow you and I think for me that's the biggest thing like just not worry about what other people think not worry about that once you start thinking about that that's when things go wrong you just do what you want to do and you keep putting to keep being productive keep doing stuff keep just evolving your sound or like playing with other people like doing loads of different things and create your own world whatever that is you can do that now with everything arts i mean people like bands aren't just bands now they're doing like they're, all their social media they're doing all their videos they're doing you know all these creative other aspects of being a musician now and i think keep doing that keep making around well keep being productive putting out art and keep doing it and people will follow you i love and that yeah it's, and it's that's my good. advice it's good because um like you said there's a lot of bands are their own photography and like own music videos so it must feel so homegrown and you own it and you can have that full creative control. Like when you said the studio said to you on your second album, oh, this doesn't work, this doesn't sound good enough. Fuck all that. If you do it yourself, you can release what you want, when you want and how you want. Exactly. And that's 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 how it should be. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, at the end of the day, even if you do have everything behind you, management, labels, you're still going to have to be in control because all those people are never going to have you always at their first thought you're not going to be their best interest they're going to have a million other bands they're dealing with and you're going to have to never ever leave up to other people you have to not be complacent like that if you want it to work you have to make sure that every dot detail really unfortunately it is like that you know you have to make sure that you're getting paid the right amount you need to make sure all these other things as well um and be in control so even if you have got all that behind you, you need to be the person that's kind of creating your own, um, how you're put out into the world or your visuals and what you're trying to say. And So you're going to do it anyway. But if you're not, if you haven't got that, then you can still do it and do it yourself because you're going to have to do it either way, <laughs> in my opinion. 
but yeah, it's a lot of work. But if you love what you do, then that doesn't, you know, that's just part of it. Obviously, I don't know you very well, but you don't seem to be someone that could just do a normal office nine to five. You seem from the very young age to pick up a guitar. You've never put it down. You seem so inspired to do more. I love the fact that you've got side projects and other stuff going on. And I can't see you ever wanting to put that guitar down, really. I can see you having another 10, 20 years. Just keep going. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, some days it's like, well, you know, it'd be nice to actually have something to live. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I don't know if I could do. It. I mean, I have had normal jobs, and I have I have jobs in between when we're not doing stuff. I yeah, I've worked in offices. I've worked all sorts of stuff. I worked for the Ministry of Defence. I've worked so many jobs. But the thing that makes me happy is this: it's stressful and a lot of work, but also rewarding and what I really love doing. So yeah, I can't imagine me just have being ever just giving it up and just doing it. Nine to five, just just so that I can have somewhere to live. <laughs> I don't think I can do it. So yeah. So there's my interview with me and Laura May Carter, and what a great girl she is. She's absolutely phenomenal. One of the best singers for me, one of the best front women of music, and it's great to see more women in music because there's just not enough. You know, there's not enough people that are fronting bands that are female, and that's why I love doing Mark and Me because I can get those people and push them out more and help them and support them and get more people to tune into their music and I am going to focus a lot this year on talking to a lot more women within pop culture and kind of spreading their work and helping them within this podcast and that's something I've really kind of took on board and I don't want to ruin it by telling you my next guest for the next 10 or 20 episodes but a lot more women have come on and yeah it's topped last year already for the amount of women I've interviewed so I can't wait to promote that. A great interview, I think Laura May is fantastic, I think she's a great, great songwriter, and as I said at the start of this episode, please go out and check out the album Get Tragic, it's brilliant. It's produced by Adam Gramespan, so the the, the production is unbelievable, you'll recognise it from stuff like Arcade Fire and Nick Cave, and it just sounds great, and my favourite song at the moment is Eye to Eye. I've been listening to it non-stop on Spotify, and it's just, it doesn't get old. I keep hearing these new bits and these different layers, and it just sounds so, so good, I absolutely love it. They are touring at the moment, so please go out and buy a ticket. A lot of the dates have sold out, and that's good, because they deserve to, and they've been working very hard for 10 years. If you haven't got the new album, or any of the old albums, they're all available. And like I said, go on their website, because the money goes straight to the band. They own these records now, they're they're independent, they're doing it all themselves, and I've got nothing but respect for them. As always, I thank you all for taking the time to listen to this interview, and again, checking out Mark and Me. There's a number of episodes now, over 50 available, all for free, on Spotify, on iTunes, on Podomatic, and there's a whole range. There's actors, directors, film stars, musicians, frontmen, you name it, they've been on, and I've got so many more guests coming on. You probably remember on the last episode, I said it would be two weeks, and it's only been a week. It's because I'm doing so many interviews at the moment, I want to get as many interviews out there as I can. So I'll be honest right now, I'm not going to lie again, it's not going to be two weeks, it'll probably be a matter of a week until you get your next episode, because they're just coming in so, so fast, but I'm never going to turn them down. As always, if you want to support the podcast, please go on markandme.com, on there there's links to my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram, and most importantly my Patreon, even if you just give me the equivalent of like 70p a month, it helps. It means I can go out and do more interviews like this. I can travel the country and do more face-to-face interviews, which is what I enjoy the most. 
And in return, I do give prizes away. There's some good chances to win T-shirts and Funkos and badges and loads of different stuff because I want to give back and say thanks to all the support I get on Patreon. I will be back in a week, and in the meantime, go out and check out everything by Blood Red Shoes. Go out and listen to Black Peaks. Keep supporting podcasts. Keep listening to music. And hey, I'll see you all in a week's time. Street, I'll be the only shit that's left behind.